I don't want to sing about anger and hate. I don't want to sing about fear and defeat. I don't want to sing about the things I always sing about. I wish I could sing about love. I wish I could sing about love. I don't want to sing about war and greed. I don't want to sing about those we can't feed. I don't want to sing about the things I always sing about. I wish I could sing about love. I wish I could sing about love. I don't want to sing about suffering and pain. I don't want to sing for another campaign. I don't want to sing about the things I always sing about. I wish I could sing about love. I wish I could sing about love. I don't want to sing about rights and wrongs. I don't want to sing all the same old songs. But I'll sing them and sing them till there's no need to sing them, and then I can sing about love. Then I can sing about love. So I'll sing them and sing them till there's no need to sing them, and then I can sing about love. Then I can sing about. That song was "Sing About Love" by Chumbawamba, and that is a song that was sent to me by Jay, a forest defender and climate activist, who we're going to spend the hour with today. You're listening to WVEW LP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Also streaming live online at wvew.org. Indigo Radio is a project of the Spark Teacher Education Institute, and we air every Sunday at noon. We're also replaying on Mondays at 2 p.m. We're a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. The shows are recorded and will be uploaded to our SoundCloud and iTunes. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. And this is Anna Milani for Indigo Radio. Happy Sunday, everyone. Today we spend the hour with the climate activist and forest defender Jay, who talks with us about their time in the Wilani Forest in Atlanta, Georgia, during a week of protest and action in March of this past year. What's known as Defend Atlanta Forest or Stop Cop City is a movement in Atlanta, Georgia, whose goal is to stop construction of what is officially known as the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. This is backed by the Atlanta Police Foundation and the city of Atlanta, along with corporate funding. It's a $90 million project, and they are trying to destroy hundreds of acres of the Wilani Forest in Atlanta to build a massive police training compound. The compound would train cops from around the world in militarized tactics. A little bit about Cop City, and you can find this on uh, Instagram, is Stop Cop City. It's an information page about the movement to resist Cop City. They have a post that describes and answers the question, what is Cop City? So Cop City is a proposed largest police facility in the U.S., It's designed to train police in, quote, crowd control and urban warfare techniques. The city of Atlanta has leased 381 acres of the Wilani Forest in southeast Atlanta for $10 per year for Cop City, despite huge public opposition. And some of the plans for Cop City include a fake city replicating city blocks and buildings, a shoot house where police can practice shooting civilians, a Black Hawk helicopter pad, high-speed driving course, a bomb detonation range, and virtual reality shooting simulations. It's a threat to Black lives, it's further militarizing police, and would worsen police brutality and surveillance, which already disproportionately targets Black communities. The site of the Wilani Forest includes a history of violence. Colonizers displaced the Muskegee Creek people from the land in the early 1800s, The land is a site of multiple plantations, which enslaved at least 30 black people, and the old Atlanta prison farm, a prison with inhumane conditions that closed down in the 70s. There are currently four prison facilities on this land. Cop City, and this again is from the Stop Cop City and Defend Atlanta Forest pages, says that Cop City is a military threat to Atlanta's black and brown communities 
and an environmental health hazard in a primarily Black neighborhood. On January 18, 2023, Georgia's state patrol officers shot and killed Manuel Esteban Paez Terran, they're also known by their forest name Torchiquita, during a raid on the occupied encampment, Torchiguita was a 26-year-old forest defender working to stop Cop City. It was found that Torchiguita was hit by 57 bullets into their body. No police have been charged in Torchiguita's killing, although investigations are reportedly ongoing. The forest is very essential to our health. Uh, Atlanta has the highest percentage of tree canopy of any major metropolitan area in the U.S., Tree canopy is, a, is the main factor in ensuring Atlanta's resiliency in the face of climate change. So we spend the hour with Jay, who talks about their time in the Wilani Forest, the importance of solidarity, and the urgency to talk about what is going on in Atlanta, as it's not only a local issue, but something that affects all of us. Thanks for joining us today. Jay, I want to thank you for being with us for Indigo Radio to talk about Cop City and the Atlanta Forest Defenders, which I know we share this sentiment is a extremely important issue that you said this to me, we should be talking about it all the time. And I absolutely agree with you. So I think where we'll start is to talk about the March week of protest. And if you could tell me the purpose of that week-long protest and what led you to go? The week of action was March 4th through March 11th, 2023, and the purpose was to draw people from all over into one place to network and to escalate the pressure on the mayor of Atlanta and other people there who have the power to stop Cop City and are not doing that. So this week of action, I think, was also in large part like one of the first big things to happen in Atlanta after the January 18th murder of Tortuguita. So there were also weeks of solidarity where people were doing things like all across the country. It's important to balance the two things, having people doing their local things and targeting funders and insurers of Cop City all over and to have everybody in one space together. Okay, and can you, what compelled you to go? I think for me, this was kind of the logical next step in like a, a development that I've been going through from being someone who does climate walkouts in high school to someone who does food not bombs locally to someone who participated in a lot of strike actions in the last year as a supporter. And that was some of my first contact with private security forces and police officers and scabs trying to hit me with a truck. From that, I felt like I was more ready to take the next step and learn some new skills was a big part of my focus. Like I want to learn what it takes to make something like this happen so that I can be an architect of future similar protests, especially locally. Okay, thanks for that. One of the things that I've been seeing in the national media, and I would say like dominant narrative or mainstream media, in regards to the March week of action, is that there were domestic terrorist attacks on police. And I know that from that week there was, and these numbers, you might be able to correct me on these numbers, but that what I have from my news sources is that there were 35 arrested and then there was 23 that got domestic terror charges. So I would like you to talk about what was your experience and does it counter that dominant narrative? I don't know if I see a need to counter that dominant narrative. To me, if the state is trying to murder you and your people to be taking direct action, violent or nonviolent, especially against property, not people, does, does feel very justified. It feels very logical. I highly, highly recommend reading a piece that came out yesterday by Priscilla Grimm called 31 Days in DeKalb County Hell, I believe, about the experience of being imprisoned in Atlanta. A man died in a county jail so recently in his cell. And just when those things are happening and when people attending a music festival can be put in those conditions and when people walking down the street can be put in those conditions, 
it does feel very, very logical to pick up a rock, pick up a firework, and to organize and do something about it. So I, I don't necessarily see a need to be like, no, this is only a peaceful movement. Like, no, it's not. It doesn't need to be to be justified or to be valid. I mean, what I think is helpful is when we talk about violence is that there's often, and you just named it, this state violence mm -hmm. that is given total impunity. Mm -hmm. And that I think that example of like throwing rocks brings up, it conjures up images for me of uh, Palestine mm -hmm. and who is the terrorist, who is yeah. the aggressor, right? Yep. Yeah, and people defending their mm -hmm. very livelihoods and in this case, a forest that is essential yeah. to our lives. I think I just don't care about or use the term terrorist to describe anybody. It feels much more useful to me to just be like, there is state oppressive violence and there is people defending themselves. And those are the categories that matter to me. So tell me about your experience in March. My friends arrived in the Wilani forest at night and they could hear from almost a mile away the music through the woods. And just to have that like beacon to move towards was really wonderful. They pitched a tent, slept, and the next morning went to the living room which is this beautiful, beautiful space in a pine forest where there's a fire that's like almost eternal at this point. It never goes out. There are tarps to gather under, a supply table, a fully stocked medic tent. There's a pantry where anyone can take anything that they need at any time. And so many tents, some occupied and some not. Some are just for whoever needs them. Coming to that space where people are embroidering, sitting up against trees, and people are doing dishes together is really, really incredible. And it's very common to just be like sitting in the living room and then somebody will yell, we need help digging a shitter. <laughs> Who wants to come? And so on that very first day, my friends were able to grab a shovel follow a group of people and dig the place where they would poop for the next week, um, which was incredibly empowering and wonderful. And really the best way to make friends is to do a task together. My friends went with the intention of being workers, of being another set of hands to get done the really necessary work that needs to get done to support all of the flashy, like confrontational stuff. Um, so I really want to highlight that invisible labor and how joyful it could be. Actually, on that point, that was something I was going to ask you. Mm -hmm. The joy, just listening to you, you bring up these beautiful images of both the landscape of mm -hmm. like the beauty of the forest and what it what the forest can do both for our physical and emotional well-being. Yes. And then also the joy of being in community. What is the importance to you of joy and hope in a movement like this? I think it's like the foundation of everything else because you can't sustain anything without joy and hope and without other people. Yeah, it's, well, and it's how you draw people in. Like, nobody's going to go. Self-sacrificing, like, going up against the toughest conditions, like, yeah, maybe that works for some people, or you can do that for a little while, but what's actually going to build a better world and be sustainable enough and welcoming enough that many, many people can join in it is a joyful intergenerational interabled movement and that's what i saw i used to say to to my neighbors i used to just say over and over a better world is possible i know because i'm going to build it and after going to the week of action i say a better world is possible i know because i lived there and so to be able to know that it exists out in the world is so wonderful that also and you've kind of touched on this, but the diversity of tactics mm -hmm. is something I've also heard a couple different times in for myself reading and listening to people. And I like also that you talked about the intergenerational mm -hmm. struggle, which I also think is really important so that generations are not pitted against each other. Mm -hmm. uh, could you talk to some of that and some of the diversity of these tactics that you saw and experienced. Yeah, I think it's really, really beautiful and wonderful that this movement is pushing against the narrative that there are the good protesters who follow the rules and do it peacefully and they write their letters, and then there are the bad protesters who throw the Molotov cocktails. 
and it's also countering the, narrat the narrative that only throwing Molotov cocktails gets stuff done. Because I think there are also a lot of people on the left who put down the people who are also writing letters and who are also showing up to city council meetings. So I think this movement is doing, of course there's still conflict, but a pretty good job of being like, if we're doing all of these things simultaneously and recognize that we're all on the same side and all support each other, we're going to get a lot more done. Yep. I want to read, I'm going to read just a few sentences from this solidarity statement that came from uh, defendtheatlantaforest.org. Mm -hmm. In the solidarity statement, it is written, forests are the lungs of planet Earth. The destruction of forests affects all of us. So due to the gentrification and police violence that the bulldozing of Wilani Forest would facilitate, what is happening in Atlanta is not a local issue. Could you speak to that last bit around the importance of cross-geographical solidarity around this, that what is happening in Atlanta is really essential for all of us to understand the impact that it's going to have? I, I don't know if I can say it better than that, but something that really convinced me in part that this was so important was knowing that the police in my city who are going to train there, knowing, knowing things like that is horrifying. Yeah, I think that kind of three strains I see in this fight is police brutality, environment, climate and health, and gentrification. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of the three loudest things I hear coming from this. And one of the community organizers that I saw interviewed said that we really need to revive the movement to stop police brutality. I guess I'm wondering if you could help our listeners think about why sitting here and we're not in Atlanta, mm -hmm. why do we need to worry about what's going on in Atlanta? Something that I'm thinking about is that any threat to the state is going to be addressed by police officers, and threats to the state are often things like black joy and trans joy, and any, pretty much any meaningful climate action is a threat to the state. So if you are engaging in any of those things, and all of us should be engaging in at least one of those things, then you are going to be targeted by the state. And if the state has this training center and other training centers like it, they're going to be that much more capable of destroying you. Right. That, I think, is really important to see that this isn't just about training Atlanta police. Oh, no. That yeah. this is connected mm -hmm. to a larger system that, not, that, that isn't also just U.S.-based. Yes, it's right? international. Yeah. And there were, there were people there... There was one person in particular who was from London, and then, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but was in Germany at Lutzerath, and then came directly to Atlanta and brought the history of all of those struggles there. Like, I heard Arabic and Italian spoken in the forest. It was really, really wonderful to see that, that solidarity in the people who I was eating dinner with. And is there any other experiences that you want to talk about within your week there? Something that I found really useful was trainings. There was a direct action training that ended up being a bunch of people wrestling in the parking lot, playing the role of police officers and protesters and talking about what de-arresting looks like and under what circumstances it's feasible to go in there with your hands and try to save your friend. There was a training on pace planning, making sure that you and your affinity group know what your, oh goodness, now I don't know what pace stands for. Um, <laughs> primary, your primary plan, your auxiliary plan, your contingency plan, and your emergency plan. Talking about how to set up escape routes for yourself out of the forest. Yeah, trainings were really, really helpful. There were also engaging with the land, especially towards the end of the week when local foragers from the group Common Abundance came in and set up shop. They were so wonderful. They fed us acorn pancakes and Yum. planted so many trees and there was the most joyful foraging walk I have ever been on where like the two co-facilitators were just throwing sticky plants at each other and getting them on each other's clothes and 
we were eating violets and garlic grass and sharing recipes for acorns because like 10 different people had tried acorns at some point and we're all comparing notes and it was this like co-teaching thing. I ate so many autumn olives by the Entrenchment Creek that my tongue went numb. They what are were, autumn olives? They're so delicious! They're invasive and they're just little berry guys that grow on trees and they're so tasty. Yeah, there were forest tours every single day and the forest tour begins with the facilitator saying that trees build themselves out of the carbon that you exhale. So all the trees around us are made up of the exhales of every person who has walked here before us, back to Tortuguita, back to the Muscogee people. And everyone who walks here afterwards will be walking through the fruit of your exhales. And as we walked, we found rare native honeysuckles, native orchids, indicator species showing that the forest is healing itself from all the time that it spent as a prison farm and all of these other horrible things. Um, we were cheering for the plants coming up. People are like tearing up. And we visited the mother tree many times. Big, big cherry bark oak tree. Why is it called the mother tree? because she's very old. One of the oldest trees there, we're thinking 300 or 400 years. And when the Muscogee people returned last year for the first time since the Trail of Tears, they did a ceremony and named the tree Grandmother Tree. And there's a lot of people call her that name in their language, but I have forgotten it. And there's little offerings at the base of the Grandmother Tree and she's spiked so no one can cut her down. I love the descriptions that you just gave us mm -hmm. because it is so rich in life, the yes. forest, mm -hmm. and what it gives itself and us. To me, what you just described is the total counter to the violence and brutality and everything that Cop City yes. stands for. Mm -hmm. So thank you for those descriptions. I yeah. think that's really important for mm -hmm. people to hear. Yeah. I have not heard such rich descriptions, actually, because I think a lot of the news coverage is about the protests and yes. and the violence and the gentrification and police brutality, mm -hmm. which is essential to hear. Yeah. And I think what you just described is also super essential to hear. Yes. Like what is ha like this everyday activities that are happening with the forest defenders, even just your example of this forest tour mm -hmm. is really ama amazing yeah and the invitation for people to come from wherever to mm -hmm. engage with this land yes and there's so much more in the parking lot there was a mending table where people just came and fixed their clothes there was an art sale ish where there were just prints hung on clotheslines between trees and you could donate to the solidarity fund or you could just take stuff and one really really important day around the middle of the week we had a poetry reading in the afternoon, and so people were reading all kinds of totally different genres, people from all over the world, and Tortuguita's mother, Belkis Teran, was there. She just got up to the front and was like, okay, now I'm gonna speak, and I'm gonna cry now, and I cried then. She said, my child was a teacher, and the thing about teachers is that even when they pass, they never leave you they stay forever. She talked about the importance of touch and of being physically together, about how dogs sniff each other's butts, which was wonderful because there are always dogs running around in the living room as well. People bring their pets. There was a cat too. So yeah, that was so unexpected and so beautiful. And then we went straight from poetry reading into a song circle. And so we're singing like classics like Solidarity Forever um, many of them with verses added in from the Starbucks picket line in Boston and verses specifically about Tortuguita. That is really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, And it also just the heartbreak mm -hmm. of, it just makes me think of so many mothers that have lost yes. their um, family to police brutality and the resilience and strength mm -hmm. that she, I've seen one video of her speaking yes. and I mean, it really, I think, is a lesson to us all about courage. Yep. And, of course, we get courage from 
that, right? Mm-hmm. I like too what you said that and and that Tortuguita's mother had said this about the importance of being physically together. Yes. I think that that is really essential. Mm-hmm. And I think that we know how much the pandemic isolated us yeah. and that I think a lot of people are still struggling to figure out coming back together. Mm-hmm. And as someone in public health, I always talk about how we are social animals. Yep. It, it worries me when we start, and I've had it myself, if we get comfortable in isolation mm-hmm. and we kind of sometimes need each other to push, to be back together. Mm-hmm. When you said the, the singing of songs, mm-hmm. You brought in that there was a line about the Starbucks workers. Uh-huh. Can you tell us about the importance of linking struggles? Hmm. In like a very practical sense, when I arrived in the living room for the first time, I saw someone I recognized from past picket lines and past like food service. And just to be able to walk into the living room and hug someone who you know, and then exchange forest names, because we, we, we couldn't call each other the names we knew each other by, made it that much more welcoming and wonderful. In a practical sense of like, it's so helpful to show up to a place and already know people from something else you've worked on together, but then also that the song carries over and the tactic carries over can be really, really valuable and beautiful. The core of it to me is about human dignity Mm -hmm. and our health, the health of the planet. I think also your descriptions of being in the forest really drives home for me the how much we are also a part of nature yes that we are not separate yet we're often taught we are we have can manipulate or whatever but we are so much a part of nature and we need what the forest gives us my walk home from the grocery store takes me past my favorite courthouse doors there's crowds of hunger people everywhere, but that's alright, I brought enough to share. Oh, please officer, you gotta believe me, it's soup for my family. No, I ain't no crook, I ain't no vandal, just pour one out from a can of Campbell's. Just a perfect summer night for some celebration You brought the ribs and brought a can of clam chatter Let's roast these piggies and sing together Please officer, you gotta believe me It's soup for my family No, I ain't no crook, I ain't no panel Just pouring one out from a can of Campbell's That was Soup for My Family by Pigeon Pit And that's another song that Jay had sent me This is Anna for Indigo Radio, if you're just joining us, and we are spending the hour with Jay, who is a climate activist and forest defender, who speaks to us about their time in Atlanta and in the Wilani forests in March. And we're going to go back to the interview where they talk about the music festival. So let's go to the music festival Mm -hmm. that you were at, correct? And can you tell me about that? What, What was going on there and what was your experience like? On March 5th, at 5 p.m., Michael Sarah Palin was playing. They were great. And people who were living in the forest called for a rally at 5, and cop watchers showed up, and legal observers were there, and there were shields, and people were in forest block, like a mix of camo and black block, and they marched from the music festival to across the creek to um, a surveillance location that the police were holding and they took it back and destroyed it. And they returned to the music festival or to the forest and a little while after they got back, I was actually taking a break from the music festival and was at my tent at that time and I saw people run past me and I said, are you okay? Do you need help? They said no. I said, are you being chased? And they didn't answer. So my buddy um, had wandered off for a bit and he came back and told me that someone had just walked up to him, someone he had never seen before and said, if it gets too scary, go to the music festival. 
we didn't know what that meant we didn't know if he was a cop like what was happening so we packed our go bags and i'm so so glad for that warning because we were just ready to go when people started pouring over the top of the hill where we had pitched our tent pretty far from the living room just sprinting downhill and my buddy grabbed me and said that's a cop that's a cop we have to go we saw someone fall and we heard the cop yell get out and stay down and he had a taser drawn and so we ran to the music festival as fast as we could and we're back in this crowd of people, some of whom knew what was happening. There were helicopters overhead, some of whom clearly still did not know what was happening. People talking about how afraid they were that we were out in the woods, because when you're, somebody said like, when you're at a city protest, like, you know that they're not just gonna shoot you, but out here, what if they just shoot us? It was still light out, and from the music festival and from the stage across the field, we could see the police car is gathering we could see a mix of georgia state troopers and just like normal cop clothes some with full riot gear and shields some without and people being arrested some people especially in the forest were, were successfully de-arrested because it was like the protesters turf they were able to defend it and a lot of people just packed as close to the stage and as close together as they could. There would be moments where people would start to like stampede or freak out and then someone would grab the mic and say, no, we stay together. When we're together, we're safe. Stay calm, stay together. So there were still arrests happening. We didn't know it yet, but there were pepper balls being deployed in the forest. What are pepper balls? I may be using the wrong term. Like air similar to tear gas okay. in effect. Bad, we walked through it later. So it, it got cold, like it was dark and it was cold and it was 10 p.m. and we had been there for four hours and no one knew when they would be able to leave. And the cops deflated the bouncy house, which was horrible. <laughs> That's mean. That's mean! But we kept the music going. There were two fires on the field and people really gathered around them. People who hadn't known each other before were now like best friends. I believe these were Georgia State Troopers in full riot gear. Um, started like advancing on the crowd and so the music kind of stopped the crowd linked arms and stood as one block facing away from the stage the police got out their megaphone and they started telling us something but we couldn't hear them because the megaphone was too weak and they were too scared to come closer so you have this crowd of people being like what we can't hear you what I think two or three people from the crowd very bravely and it's good that it turned out the way it did a couple people broke off and walked up to the police to get the information and then were able to walk back to the crowd and yell and we could all hear them and so there was like a time limit for by which time we all had to leave they were saying things about like if you have stuff in the woods you have this much time to go back and get it and then you have to leave and this is, I think, one of the most impressive and important things that I want people to take away from this, the amount of community care that went into getting so many people out safely that night. We were able to self-organize several hundred people into cars. And as far as I know, everybody who was there in that moment made it out safely. And many more people who were hiding in specific locations in the woods were also able to get out. So I got into a stranger's car with my buddy, like even just walking through areas that had had chemical agents used there earlier it did really affect me especially that night i had trouble because i i didn't have a change of clothes um so later like in a borrowed sleeping bag i woke myself up like coughing and unable to breathe we went to a safe location where there was food and a bathroom and a little bit of indoor space for people who needed medical attention but we were mostly outside on the sidewalk and again we self-organized into cars got into the car of a person whose forest name i never got not even that much information and then they took us to a second location where there was outdoor camping space another person again just over and over so many people who i'm never going to see again saved us somebody got us two sleeping bags and we were ready to sleep on the ground in our sleeping bags and then somebody else found us a tent and so we were able to sleep there that night in the morning there were cats very very cute cats i got to have breakfast with a cat who was also having breakfast there was hot food served made some new friends, talked to some people who had been detained and released in the wee small hours. Okay, and from my understanding too, is that there are 
forest defenders right now incarcerated. Yes. Right. Still. Okay. Yes. Okay. And also from that week, right? Yes. I, I think I just wanted to comment on your descriptions there is consistent with another forest defender that was describing their experience and said that it was scary. Mm-hmm. Use that word that, and that also that this could be future of police reaction yep. to protests that of course we've seen prior to this, but also mm-hmm. I think with this happening right now and your descriptions. And I also want to say in listening to you, what you're also describing is real things that can be done in order to protect yourself and the community. Like you talked about, like we stay together. And I think that is so also important here because Mm -hmm. we, we are also learning lessons and continue to, of what do we do? Yep. And we also bring that from history too. Like if I teach a lot about the history of the Black Panthers and Mm -hmm. the history of the Young Lords and looking at what have other people done to try and take care of each other Mm -hmm. and to protect themselves. So I think the counter to that is also important because it it is very scary and Mm -hmm. and things that you have described. This is also the point around that I hear a lot in my teaching and with students and thinking about organizing is the fact that the state has an arsenal Mm -hmm. of weapons that can be a, a legitimately totally scary. Yep. And I think some of the tactics, these pepper bombs or tasers, guns. And so I think it's great to hear you talk about this staying together. And it does take courage, but we, yes. we get that from each other too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And having these locations set up where people can go safely. And for the rest of the week after this, essentially, there was a pretty consistent shuttle system. That's a, a, another moment of like invisible labor. People spent all day driving like 10 and 12 hour shifts driving back and forth between two locations knowing they could get pulled over at any moment i have so so much appreciation for the people who spent so much time and energy on doing that the people who cook every day the people who drive the water there every day that work is also dangerous and also completely essential and also points to that this isn't just some sort of like chaotic fly by the seat of my pants Mm -hmm. thing. It's that a lot of activism and organizing is incredibly coordinated and thought out and people bringing different skills Mm -hmm. as a a collective then. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. there were medics meetings at both the offsite location where we ended up camping and in the forest. There were like very consistently medics who were not only qualified to deal with physical injuries, but who were also providing mental health support. Before I switch gears here, I just want to ask if there's anything else that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, one one particular like night into the next morning I want to talk about is there was one night where we decided to have a chaos wedding where we all drew rolls out of a hat and just like put on random costumes and somebody got a sound system out into the woods. There was karaoke, there was dancing and it rained that whole night. My buddy and I were some of the first people awake the next morning and our tent was flooded. So much was flooded. People hadn't cleaned up the night before. Everything was a mess. The fire pit was flooded. So we started bailing out the fire pit and one of our newfound friends waded into the muddy fire pit barefoot and said, oh, it's warm. Like the the coals were still down there. The fire was ready to be a fire again. So we bailed it out, got the fire restarted, did the dishes from the night before, carried on with our day. And later that day, there was a lot of letter writing to our incarcerated comrades. Anything else you want to share? There are anoli lizards there. They're very cute. What are they? Just little lizards, little guys. They like the sunshine. What color are they? Green, brown, black. I mean, the forest is amazing. And I think that I just in doing reading on this, have learned about the forest. I, I had the statistic of that the forest extracts 19 million pounds of pollutants from the air every year. Mm. It cools. Yep. It filters water. It protects from flooding. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really amazing. You talked just at the beginning, or you mentioned that in high school you were involved in climate walkouts mm-hmm. and that you've been involved in other strike actions. I was wondering if you could articulate how you became politicized. What influences Um, did you and have you had? Yeah, I think that 
just knowing that climate change exists, learning that both through school, through summer camp, news, social media, all that stuff, was the first step. And I remember like doing a homework assignment on the Paris Agreement in I think 2015. I was in middle school and being like, okay, now it's gonna be fixed. So then to see the US pull out of it and to gain the further understanding that even if everybody had stayed in it, it wouldn't have been enough. That understanding really helped me get to the point where I am now, where I'm like, oh, this is life or death. I'm, I don't know, I'm thinking this morning about Andy Hines, who is an activist from Maryland who blocked a highway and is using the necessity defense in court to say that this is about the future of the planet. Yes, I broke the law. I did it because I have to. And that logic really resonates with me. I'm just thinking that's an example of who is the law protecting? Who and what is yeah. the law protecting there, right? Mm -hmm. It's industry. Yeah, yep. exactly. Like, I, I want to have kids, and I want to live a long time. And right now, I don't see that happening. So I'm trying to build a world in which those things can happen. Mm. As a university student, what do you think that universities could be doing better? First off, divesting Emory College and Georgia Tech and maybe not setting cops on your students at 1 a.m. I think, I don't know, I would like to see a lot more of universities being brave enough to be the pioneers of like, what if we had a community um, where we didn't feel the need to have university police answer every single thing from like student lockouts to like, what, what are we doing? Why is there a person with a gun doing this? I would love to see universities encourage students to get involved in direct action like this instead of banning them from campus. I'm talking about Jamie Mariscano. Who is that? Um, one of the forest defenders arrested on March 5th. Um, okay. She has been banned from campus at, I believe, the University of North Carolina, but fact check me on that. And there were large walkouts at her school of people saying, if she's not in class, we're not going to class. Wow. Yeah. I'm curious around, like, faculty and... Because one of the things you just said is that you wish that universities would support the student activism. And for someone who is a faculty, I also see a difference between there's the institution mm -hmm. and the administration. There's faculty, there's staff, there's students. How do faculty and students come together around some of this stuff? I have had really good experiences with history professors supporting strikes and like turning class into a class on the history of strikes in ways that were highly relevant. Yeah, so there have been some good moments, but something that I keep running into is I want to be able to tell my professors like, hey, I just had this incredibly traumatic thing happen to me. I'm afraid for my life all the time. I might not come to class every day, but I can't do that because even if I trust a specific professor, I don't trust, even if I trust them as a person, I don't trust that they would go against mandated reporter things or that it wouldn't get to somewhere else in the department. And so I've just not shown up to class with no excuse and taken the, the grade drop because I'm not, mm. they can't know. As someone who teaches in public health, and I also teach a health activism class, mm -hmm. that I bring the forest defenders and what's happening in Atlanta into the classroom. I will bring in the component of climate and health mm -hmm. and that this is something that is happening right now. So many of my students have not heard about what's going on and I don't blame them because it's not being covered mm -hmm. very well or if at all in some dominant mainstream media. And I also will say that I've been surprised by faculty that I've talked to that don't know about the forest defenders and what's happening. So that to me points to a greater issue of where we're getting our news, how things are covered. And then it doesn't then surprise me if as a student you're coming back and you could be in a class where the professor doesn't know what you're talking about. Yep. Do you want to speak a little bit about the impact of coming back as a student? You yeah, mentioned that. definitely. I did so much research before going, and it still wasn't enough. 
And I feel like none of my research prepared me for coming back and just being, just going to class and going to the dining hall and living in a dorm again. It felt very, very odd. And I am so, so privileged and grateful to have a really strong support network here. People were able to make sure that I was never alone for the first full week after I got back when I was feeling very scared and having trouble sleeping. And I actually got physically sick immediately after getting back. And I, I think that's very connected um, to the experience and to the emotional effects. I didn't even ask for it. My roommate and other folks just set up a meal train for me and I didn't have to leave my room for the first 48 hours because they were taking such good care of me. So I'm very, very grateful for that. And I strongly recommend that anybody who's going to try to do something like this, make sure that you have a support system and a plan for how to come back already in place. Have a forest you can go to to reconnect your associations with forest with being safe and not with being on high alert and have a go bag so that you can wake up in the middle of the night and be like, it's okay, my shoes are tied, I can just slip into them, I can grab my go bag, I can go, it's okay, I can keep myself safe. Have friends who will hug you and who you can tell the whole story. Yeah, I had to decide which people I was going to tell which parts of the story and having at least a couple people who I can tell everything was very, very valuable. Can I ask about your parents? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, so I, especially my travel buddy does not have the same relationship with their parents. So I am very lucky and grateful to have parents who like protest sometimes and they were pretty unconditionally supportive. Like they were concerned. They were like, okay, what's your plan to keep yourself safe? Okay, we're going to help you. So I have gotten financial and emotional support from them and <laughs> if you're a parent out there who thinks your kid is crazy for thinking they're not going to live to 40 because of the climate crisis, your kid is right and you should ask them how you can help. Yeah. And will you go back? I want to so desperately and it's currently not safe. There are other things that I need to get done here and I learned that I am not a fast runner. So when I am faster at running and or when the forest is in a state where I am less likely to need to run very fast, then I will go back. Okay. And could you, for our listeners, tell us about the week of action that is coming up in the summer? I believe the dates are June 24th through July 1st. And that is another week of action like the first one. It's every event that is part of it will be organized by different groups of people. There's no centralized like control center. So you can go, there will be food and support systems like I encountered, but I, I don't know much more than that. I do just really want to emphasize that if you are going to go, you need to know what conditions are on the ground. You need to know everything that happened on March 5th and that there is a risk of arrest just by existing in the forest. You are not safe just because you didn't throw a firework. I highly, highly recommend traveling with people who you trust with your life and who have the same goals as you. Um, so have the same level of comfort with doing things that might get you arrested and have the same ideas of how you are going to interact with cops. Are you gonna to talk to them at all or not? Things like that but talk to your travel companions about all of that stuff. Like people on the ground can help you out with a lot of stuff, but it is a good idea to come with all of the basic medical supplies you're gonna need, come with all the f as much food as you can bring, come with your own tent and know how to set it up. I encountered some lovely friends who had never been camping before. You need to know how to camp before you arrive in the forest. No, that's a good just basic thing, yep. like practical information for uh -huh. people thinking about going. Yeah. I, for example, would need to practice setting up yep. a tent. <laughs> yeah, because you need to be, I, like, I found myself setting up a tent that I had never seen before at 1 a.m. in a space I had never seen in daylight after being awake for so many hours and being, like, running for my life. I was like, wow, I am so glad that I have been pitching tents since I was five. Like, yeah. it was not that hard, and it could have been so, so hard yeah. in that moment. It, are there any good resources that you would suggest for people if they want to learn more or know what's going on? Are there any ones that you would point to? Yeah. My absolute favorite, which I read many, many times before traveling was the balance sheet two years against Cop City. 
which you can find on the website and I believe on PrimeThink. And you can find it in digital format or you can print it as a zine. Yeah, so stay up to date on Instagram and Twitter are really great sources for okay. like in-the-moment information. The Atlanta Community Press Collective, the Solidarity Fund, Stop Cop City, and Defend Atlanta Forest are like the really, really important pages to stay up to date on. Okay. There are maps. Okay, great. You may have seen the slogan, we're all forest defenders, used particularly in like solidarity with the people arrested on March 5th, where people are intentionally putting mud on their boots and writing the jail support number on their arm oh. because those were the only grounds for accusing people of domestic terrorism. And I really want to encourage people to think about what we are all forest defenders actually means because like, I can't walk into my classes and say, I could have been arrested for domestic terrorism. I could be in an Atlanta jail right now. I want everyone to think about, oh, a forest defender could be the person sitting next to me in class and could be my barista at Starbucks and could be my bus driver and could be my cousin because they are, they just haven't told you mm. um, for safety. Forest defenders aren't a separate group of people. They are the people in your community. One of the things I always like to ask people on these shows as we're kind of coming to an end is, and, and you've talked a little bit about this, is what gives you hope? I have so much hope. And it's a weapon. I, I can be a very bubbly person, but I don't see my hope as a bubbly thing. I see it as a, a fierce and combative thing. Like I've talked about, just being able to be in a horribly traumatic situation and self-organize into cars and make sure everybody got out safe. And being able to have people hand you fruit and have people offer to take you to an Airbnb when they just met you and are never going to know your real name. People helping each other. There was a really, really sad moment right after the bail hearings during the week of action when a woman who I had never seen before just kind of wandered up to me crying. And I asked her what was wrong and her partner had been denied bail and was a trans woman being held in men's jail. We just sat together and we cried and I never got her name. I'm never gonna see her again. And still, those little moments of connection give me so much hope. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's so much to be grateful and to love. Yeah, thank you for that. I think it's like, yeah, we don't, know, we don't have to know each other's names yep. in, in some of this, right? It's that we just want a better world yeah. that is not violent. Being in these spaces is like, just meeting cousins who you haven't met yet, all working together and all protecting each other. There were children there, and their parents were never without childcare. Like, the kids just met everybody and loved everybody and were cared for by everybody. I love that you called hope a weapon. Yes. I talk to my students a lot about hope, and yeah, I really want to thank you because I think it's so important to have your voice out there, and especially working a lot with uh, people your age. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot to be hopeful for. And these experiences give us a lot of hope. Yes. And I think other people need to hear that because I know that there's a lot of despair also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, despair isn't helpful. And I have one friend in particular where like, I wish I had her quote memorized, but she talks about how if nothing matters and I still tried, that's great. And if nothing matters and I didn't try, that's awful. So even if it comes to nothing, it's what you have to do. Yeah, I was listening to this interview. You probably, do you know Maryam Kaba? Yes. Okay. I was listening to an interview with her and they were talking about Ida B. Wells. Mm -hmm. And the interviewer said, Ida B. Wells was fighting for a world that she may not see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I share that with my students because it's, it's a choice that we make, right? Yeah. What are you going to do? We hope to see mm -hmm. a different world. And if we think of the world that we want to live in as, if we think of small pieces of it as counting and as being valuable, then we do get to see that world. Like, I do think I saw that world. So that was also really helpful that like, maybe it's only these like 20 square feet with five people in it but it's the world that I want to live in and the world I'm fighting for. And so after I'm gone, it will be bigger. Because right, when you describe to me the forest, mm -hmm. that is the world that we want yep. of kindness and mm -hmm. caring for each other and the earth. Yep. Is there anything I didn't ask you that mm -hmm. you feel like you left out or that you wanted to make sure that is out there? Yeah, 
just like random snippets in the like solidarity conversation i wanted to mention that at the poetry reading in particular there was a whole contingent of people from the no cop academy movement in chicago and a contingent of people from the land back movement from indian collective so i just wanted to highlight those specific struggles and say that if you care about this you should also care about and support them and i have this random thought of like forest names as a practice because like, yeah, picking a different name is just a necessity. It's just part of security. It's just what you do. But also it can be really joyful. There are some really silly names out there and there are some really powerful names out there. So just being able to choose to be someone you look up to for a week or being able to choose to be a plant that you love for a week or being able to be something that makes people giggle every time they have to say it is really wonderful and helps with the transitioning back out of it to go back to your home name can help your brain shift back into okay we're not gonna run for our life anymore we're gonna sit in class and use polite words can be helpful well jay thank you so much i really enjoyed this conversation with you and it's so important listening to you and for me even like to think about how much hearing about what's happening, your experience, the talk of the forest gives us all courage. And I think that's like something to me that as an educator is really important is that we need to be brave. And yeah. so thank you for, for showing that and for talking about your experience and, and sharing it with us. Thank you. That was Jay, forest defender and climate activist speaking with Indigo Radio all about their time in the Wilani Forest. The show will replay Monday at 2 p.m. And you can also find this recording on any of the podcast apps that you use. We will be posting some of the resources that Jay talked about so that you can stay informed about what's happening in Atlanta uh, with Cop City and the forest. Thanks, everyone. We're going to go out with a song, another one by Chambawamba that Jay had sent me, Bella Chow.
wish the bastards dropped down dead. Next time you see me. <laughs>